listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 203, Whitesnake 1987, part one. And coming to you from the canine suburbs of Chicago, I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And coming to you from the suburbs of Providence, I'm your co-host, John Tennis Elbow Matola. Oh, you've got Tennis Elbow now? Oh, wait, you had Tennis Elbow, didn't you? No, I had Golfer's Elbow and migrated. <laughs> it's now a, multi, it's- a multi-threat athlete. Oh man, it's it's all uh, when we were when we were on the trip, I was fine, and then I got home, and it's like I'm in fucking pain every day. There's no other way to say it. It's like I don't know what's going on, but I have to. I've decided I'm going to the doctor because I've tried stretching, mm. I tried resting it, and it's like it's obviously I'm aggravating it by doing something because when we were on vacation and I wasn't lifting a damn thing, <laughs> all we were doing was drinking and walking around and going to Deep Purple. <laughs> it's like. No problems. So obviously I'm doing something to aggravate it. I had the same thing. I think I think we talked about this. I had the same thing like a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh yeah, just freaking whatever you call it, tennis elbow. Just horrible. Yeah. Do not and recommend. So, so I so I, you know, I tried two avenues. I went to the well, I mean, when we got back from the trip, I started to get like a like a stiffness in my neck, which you know, happens. And it just like that and the elbow got really bad. So I went to the chiropractor and then I got massage therapy the next day. So chiropractor is really good for the neck. A lot of times they can relieve stuff in the arm too, because they will snap that back into place or whatever they do. So he's, he's like, he grabs my left arm because it's in my left arm and he's pushing down like on like the top of my forearm. And he's like kind of kneading the muscles. And he's like, oh, you're Matorsius Ladidius Fissimus is really tight. And I'm just like, he's like, uh, does that hurt? And I'm like, yes, stop it. Oh yeah. <laughs> I went to the, the physical so therapist painful. and she would like, she would press on this oh. muscle. Does this hurt? No. Does this hurt? And then she hit the one that hurts and it's like, sends you through the ceiling. Oh my God. But he was just like, yeah, this is really tight. I'm like, I know, give me my arm back. It <laughs> freaking hurts, man. It was like pressing into, I mean, I know that it's like, you know, it's good for you, but man, Getting those areas worked out, it was like not relaxing. So happy birthday to me. I just got a bunch of pain for my late belated present. I mean, that <laughs> seems to be the the running theme it seems to be pain for the birthday, you know. Uh, so so tell us about tell us about your new bundle of joy. Yeah, well, I, I can't remember if we talked about it on the last episode, but yes, the dog has arrived and we have we now have a puppy. Hmm. And uh, she is uh, very cute and very well behaved, but it's definitely uh, also a lot, <laughs> a lot more stuff in my life now. <laughs> right? yeah. It's just like uh, I wasn't exactly looking for ways to fill my copious amounts of free time, but now I've got uh, <laughs> I've got it on lockdown, which just yep, a lot of a lot of dog dog routines. But you know, it's it's been what we we've only had her kind of full time since Friday, so for like four days now. 
Uh, we had her over for a couple of visits before that, but mm -hmm. it's going pretty well. It's going probably as well as you could hope for. Have you chosen a name yet? Well, the dog's name is Ray, like R-E-Y, like like Star Wars. So we've just been calling her that and we've been voting on names and not being successful. So we're like, we're just going to call her Ray Ray. Like there's just no, you know, like somebody was going to be pissed off no matter what other name we picked. So we just figured <laughs> let's just, let's just go. Let's just keep her name that. And, you know, I mean, secretly you could, you could just be like, okay, Ray for Ray Fennec, but. Ray F oh there you go I was I was yeah I was also thinking Ray Bork so yeah I'll take I'll take it that's that's fine by me all right see so secretly you kind of we we worked it in there somehow exactly yeah I'll take it Great. I'll take it <laughs> <laughs> um but yes yeah so that's that's the story that's what's going on here so yeah you may have I'm this show may be interrupted and I may have to run upstairs to uh <laughs> if there's too much barking or whatever, but she, she hasn't really been barking very much um, right. at all. So we've been trying to train her not to bark. So hopefully, um, hopefully it's working, but you might hear something. We might have to pause the show. The kids might come down and say, ah, she pooped on the floor. And I'm like, you figure it out. Um, <laughs> of course the, you know, the kids that we're going to do everything now are like, okay, guys, mom's leaving. I'm going downstairs. You need to stay in this room with the dog. And one of you gets ready for basketball and the other one, what? It's boring. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wish I could just stay in a room with a dog, but I got other stuff to do. So yeah, they they want all the you knew it, you called it. They want yeah. all the good parts of the dog, but well, the two older sons have been very, uh, they have taken a very hands off approach, and my daughter, who's three seven, is like done ninety percent of the work. She is all <laughs> she's like take. Takes her outside, gets her, lets her pee, picks up her poop, like wipes her paws off when she comes back in, takes her back. Like she's feeding her, she's training her, she's filling her water, she's doing everything. And they're like, "We're doing like half the work." <laughs> you guys, aren't, you guys played PlayStation for like two hours the other day while your while your uh, sister did <laughs> no, all they the work. Did they divide that half between the two of them so each one is actually doing twenty five percent of the work? <laughs> one of them said today, "Think well, Josie only does sixty percent of the work." I was like, that means you two fools, you two cretins between the two, you do 20% each, which I think is very <laughs> generous. I'm saying she does 90 and they split the remaining 10. And how much, how much do you throw in there? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's <laughs> so just, far. that's the child amount of the labor. I would say, I would say my daughter is doing maybe more than I'm doing. So she's doing good a really, really good job. Good for her. Very proud of her. Those other two knuckleheads. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, hey, if you want to support our show, there's a few ways you can do it. This the Deep Purple Podcast is 100% listener supported and ad free. So if you receive value from our show, consider giving us some value back. And one of the ways you can do that is by leaving us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. You can buy some merch at our Etsy store. You could become a patron on Patreon or on PayPal for as little as one dollar a month. Uh, you could also donate on Cash App, dollar sign DPPOD, or support us on Kofi. Uh, buy us a coffee that will not go to co well, well, we'll put the coffee money aside from Rich for our next trip. Um, but we um, we take all that money, put it right back into the show. Um, yeah, believe it or not, John and I have not retired. We're not living uh, the life of Riley here off of the Patreon money. We are just uh, using it to help support the show and make it make it even better for for our listeners. So um, 
And you know, hopefully, we're we're still hoping that some some real big some like a Jeff Bezos type figure will swoop in and be like, "Hey, I'm gonna join you at the <laughs> one million dollar tier," and we say, "Oh, great!" I don't think that Bezo- would be that would be beautiful. We gotta find out what Bezos really likes and try to appeal to him to to become a Patreon. Like like we just I mean start a second podcast just for him. See if he'll, knowing him, he'd probably come in at like the the one dollar tier. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd, he'd he'd find some loophole to have, have it be a tax write-off. <laughs> oh, man. That would be just our luck. Yeah. Well, well, maybe there's some philanthropist out there that can support our retirement. But until then, we're going to just keep doing this the way we're doing it. And uh, speaking of the people that support our show, at the executive level, coming in at the $25 Uncommon Man tier, we have Ovis Nakvi and Purple Maniac. At the 10-pound Good Doctor tier, we have Dr. Jill Brees and Dr. Mike Catan. I like that we didn't start calling him Dr. Mike Catan until he joined, <laughs> like he's officially received his the Deep Purple Podcast doctorate. Like we it's should like, make okay him- now. Now that you've upped it, we can call. We'll call you doctor. God yeah. damn it! Let's, he wasn't a real doctor until he moved into the to the doctor tier. You know, um, so yeah, we'll, we'll we'll print up a little diploma for him. Um, at the turn it up to eleven dollar tier, we have Clay Wambacher, Frank Tealgard, Mortensen, Allen ain't too proud to beg, and Mickelstein. And at the ten dollar, someone came tier: Ryan M, Jeff Bryce, Victor Campos. Better call Saul Evans. Um, And uh, thank you to all of you for your generous support of the Deep Purple Podcast. All right. You can also check out like-minded shows at deepdivepodcastnetwork.com. Lots of great shows about lots of great bands. Check it out. Um, It's a great way to uh, stay in tune with what's going on. Uh, in other with other bands uh, we've learned a lot about a lot of other bands from that so uh, but before we move on there is one thing we must do and that is of course postcards from the edge of Connecticut uh, this one comes to us um, so one of the topics on our on our concert dates uh, watching Deep Purple was my getting a new dog so I got this this one in which is a um, it's a little dog jigsaw puzzle commemorating oh, the uh, love stamp. Uh, if you're an American um, or get mail from America, they have these love stamps. And this is when this must be when they raised the price to 22 cents for a stamp. And it's a little so it's it's carefully taped together so that the jigsaw pieces don't fall out. Uh, very oh, cool. it's actually a jigsaw. It's a real. Yeah, I don't know if you can see it's a real jigsaw. You see the yeah, pieces no, there? Cool. a little little. Mutt there it says stamp design 1986 United States Postal Service. So uh, that must have been uh, when they raised the price to 22 cents. That's when a lot of people 22 cents. Ah, I'm not sending an email anymore. Every time they do that, the people grumbling. Um, this one says, um, uh, Nate, now here's a Valentine's Day puzzle for you, Pete. So coming to us from Peter Gardot, obviously. Uh, a postcard from the 80s. Actually, it's one of the later ones you sent me. Usually they're from like the 30s or the 40s. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so uh, Valentine's Day. It was dated Valentine's Day, and that's actually the day we got the dog. So, oh, there, that's great. There you go. Um, and it says Puppy Love, the fifth in the love series. Puppy Love is called the most innocent of loves. The stamp was issued January 30th, 1986. So, there you go. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. You know, I. I I don't know. I, I still can't believe that. If you think about it, the outrage that people have expressed over raising a postage stamp, like you could, you're basically like, you're putting, what are postage stamps now? 
like I haven't bought one in ages. Um, well, this, <clears throat> I think I, I, it's got to be like 50. Let's let's see. U.S. postage stamp. Let's see what the cost is. I only ever get the forever stamps, so they never say the price on them. Yeah, me too. Well, I mean, <laughs> I've had mine for like literally forever because I don't mail anything anymore. So this so. says. Uh, does it even say? People are yelling at us. 63 cents. Wow. All right. That's I thought right, it was 50. So, all right. I remember when they cents, raised it to right? 25 and people were like, oh, 25 cents. But I mean, still, that blows my mind, right? You just put like right now, 63 cents, right? I could put any piece of paper in an envelope, stick that stamp on there, give it to the post, throw it in a mailbox and just be like, yeah, take that, take that to Illinois <laughs> or Honolulu. <laughs> or, yeah, exactly. Or you know, Anchorage, or Alaska. <laughs> it's yeah, exactly. It's a cross through another country to get there. Take it anyway. Take it to the West Coast. Take it to San Diego. Like, are you kidding me? I no, mean, it's a great deal. I, Even I sixty-three cents. Deal. Even the exorbitant I mean, price of sixty-three cents. Yeah, I but remember when they raised it to like twenty something, so twenty-five, thirty cents. Oh my god! It's like, dude, you're still. Like and, and this 22 is probably up from 20 or 21 or something, you know, yeah. it's probably not, not anything big. But hey, that's not all. There's another one. This one. This one comes from us to, from New Jersey. Oh, New Jersey. It says uh, on the back, it just says New Jersey. <laughs> There's no <laughs> no story. And uh, and it says right. Mm. If, you, if you see on it right here, it's circled New Brunswick and it says you are here. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, that was done by Peter. So it yeah, says we Nate. were there. Now, now that's a fun Deep Purple show for you, Mark and Pete. So he's probably doing this in the lobby of the hotel while we, while he was getting ready to drive me to the airport. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a that's great. It's commemorating our. Um, of course, did he? Well, this was on the. T I'm trying to look at the date on this one. I don't know. This might have. He might have actually bought this in New Jersey. Um, but he did have a dog-related stamp uh, postcard. So thank you, Peter, for uh, the wonderful postcards, as always. Always keeping it interesting. Always keeping it interesting and relevant. That's what we really appreciate. Um, but hey, we're not here to just talk about postage rates. We're here to talk about Deep Purple and Deep Purple-related items. This week, coming to you, White Snake, the mo more commonly in the U.S. referred to as simply white snake but mm -hmm. in europe and other places this was called 1987 or the 1987 album and um in 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 lieu of saying white snake white snake as the uh, show title which is all oh, white snake 1987 even though that's not what we grew up calling it so uh this is a big right. one um kicking it off like what are your what are your thoughts and memories on this album like what 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 are you what's your instant thought when you think about this album oh i mean uh, quintessential white snake, at least at the time. I mean, uh, I, I think I've made it pretty well known that I didn't know. I mean, growing up, I didn't know any other white snake except for this one, because when this album hit, when it was big, this came out obviously in 87. So when I started to get into music, it was like 88, 89, like really get into rock music. And, um, I mean, this time the album was only at that time, the album was only a couple of years removed. So, I mean, it was still huge mm -hmm. and anything that I knew about white snake was any of the hits on this album, the videos, um, just the, the image. So, um, that was just kind of woven in with my knowledge of 
who Whitesnake was. Um, I, I didn't get the, I didn't get this album until years later, uh, because I was first discovering, uh, uh like, um, other, other glam metal and, and, um, you know, uh, like Ozzy, Motley Crue, all them. And then later on working my way backwards and kind of rejecting all that and getting into more stripped down rock, like Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, the 70s stuff where there was no image. It was kind of funny how I kind of like circled around. Yeah. Um, Cause I started <laughs> off with like the really like hair metal guys. And then by the time I got to high school, I was just like, yeah, that stuff is crap, you know? And then I want, <laughs> like, I, like I'm into like the, the real players that like just kind of walked out on stage and were like, me, you know, they, they didn't wear outfits or anything <laughs> except like, Kiss for some reason, <laughs> except for Kiss for some reason. I don't know why they were an exception, but, um, but yeah, anyways. Um, so that was my, my initial experience with this album and this music and my, um, my introduction to who Whitesnake even was. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, album cover when I see it I just think of that time and this album coming out and just I remember just just I don't know I guess I was just kind of a contrarian or kind of you know to me I just I never was I never this album just never hit me the way that it hit so many other people um mm -hmm. so I I always had this kind of um aversion to it and and and, it, and I think it's because it got lumped in. To me, this was White Snake. This was this might as well have been their debut album, and I'm sure it was probably the same to you and a lot of Americans because we just didn't right. get exposure to those other albums. Um, I right, think right. I think we've talked about it before. I think this was the first album that was, or, or this slided in was the first album that was released in the U.S. Um, uh, with the like, otherwise you were getting them through imports. So I just I, I didn't yeah. know anything, and I, I was too young when I was too young when Slided In came out to pay attention. And three years later, when this came out, I was just kind of like, you know, to me it was the same as I, I just remember having an aversion to Bon Jovi, the Beastie Boys, White Snake, you name it, anything that was like uh, the Hysteria album by Def Leppard, any of that. Mm. I was just like, eh, it's. Too that's what all my all the kids at school listen to. I'm not I'm not a yeah. a fan of it. Um, even oh, though man. Yeah, the later on I never really came around to Bon Jovi. No offense to Bon Jovi, it just never really was my thing. Mm. Um, but I pretty much came around everything else. <laughs> yeah, same. I I remember the the Def Leppard album was kind of lumped into that one as well because they were it was very um, very produced mm -hmm. very pop very different from what their early sound was and i remember specifically being very anti hysteria like man i don't like that stuff i like i like harder edge stuff um which upon listening back to hysteria uh just to take a quick detour uh, just kind of like some of these other albums if you're in the mood for that sound for that kind of stuff it is really good so i mean yeah and um, i i was like a I, I, in fact, earlier today when I was I was looking for something in my MP3 collection, um, you know, before I moved to New York, I just took all my CDs and I MP3'd them and then I moved to New York and I left all the CDs at my parents' house because I was moving to this tiny little apartment. I didn't any, have any space for all the stuff. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to bring 2,000 CDs with me. And um, I was looking through my one of my, my folders. I was looking for Deep Purple and I saw Def Leppard there and I was like, huh. I clicked on it. It's like on through the night, high and dry, pyromania. Nothing else. I didn't That's even it. have. I didn't even have yeah. hysteria. I never owned hysteria. Uh, you know, so it was. Um, uh, yeah, just I, there was some something about that sort of thing that I always kind of pushed back against, and I've definitely 
uh, come around in later years. But yeah, it's, to me, seeing this album is like, this is my, my cousin, uh, Natalie, who lived right across, she lived right next door to me. And later on, she would move out. My cousin Jeff would move in. Uh, so I always had a cousin there. And she was the cousin there that was had the heartthrob posters all over the wrong, you know, Corey Feldman and uh, probably Bon Jovi and Michael Jack. She had all these, you know, posters. All, and I was, I just, I looked at this sort of stuff as just, oh, this is like just appealing to girls or whatever, you know, like the white snake, all a bunch of pretty boys. I didn't know any better. Which, I mean, they were trying to do with the, yeah. with the image at this point, but. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yes. I mean, it didn't hurt. I mean, Coverdale never looked more quaffed up <laughs> oh, yeah. did at this point, you know, so. Yeah, but, bl- blonde um, hair and, yep. Yeah, the, the tank top and, like, the, the leather pants and. And I mean, that, that's the one thing that it too, like, the, especially around this album, when I saw the pictures of the group, first of all, the, I was always so confused, even before I knew who Whitesnake was, because I'm just like, there's like 12 people in this picture. Like, who is everybody? It, it seemed like there were so many people because it was like the, um, obviously the, the lineup on this album, as we're going to talk about, wasn't the lineup at all that was in the videos except Coverdale. And I just remember seeing all of them and I saw Coverdale and I'm like, oh, look at him. He's he's so old. Yeah, <laughs> because I mean, and he was like friggin like what, 35 or 36 at the time. And I yeah, just thought like, yeah. man, he's got to be like 50 or something. <laughs> he's on death's door. <laughs> well, do we know? Well, because I mean, 40 years later, we have a podcast and then he's still be putting out music. <laughs> but I mean, the thing is, is that it's just like, yeah, at that time, some of those guys that were in the. The uh, the the early mid late seventies when they were in their mid to late thirties at the time you think that a lot of those hair bands were like ten years younger than them like Motley Crue Rat Poison they were all in their twenties so yeah thirty five was a little bit older but I mean not ancient by any means but I, maybe it's just because like Coverdale with the with the blonde hair for some reason it just it, without even seeing him with the darker hair previously and the, you know, the beard and that whole look. Yeah. It's just like, it was, it was already kind of, kind of weird on him. You know, it just it almost aged him a little bit, you know, when you also didn't think like everyone's hair looked like that, you know, all the girls at school had the same hair. Like it's kind of a joke now, but if you look at your your book, it's like every girl, yeah. might, they might as well have just been the same girl 50 times on the page. That same, yeah. like that little hair thing that like shot up and like, like a waterfall, <laughs> like a fountain or whatever, you know, yeah. everyone was doing that and they had the crimped hair and everyone dyed their hair blonde. So it, you just didn't even bat an eyelash. You're just like, oh, that's what, that's just what people do. Um, but yeah, I, I just remember my, uh, and I, and I think the other part of it too is just, um, like overexposure to here I go again. And, uh, is this love to an extent, um, where I just was definitely at a point where I never wanted to hear either of those songs ever Still again. Still of the night. Yeah. Still of the night for some reason. I feel like I just didn't get as exposed to that song for whatever reason. I don't know why. Like, um, yeah, it, it, it didn't, it didn't hit me quite the same as. Here I go again, which was just, yeah, I mean, you, mean, could, the, you couldn't escape it. You, you know, you'd be you'd listen to the radio, you'd put on MTV, you'd go to the roller skating with your friends. It would be playing every, everywhere it was being played. Like you could not I avoid mean, it. And, and even now. Oh yeah. You, you get the, you get uh, any kind of playlist or, or bar or place that is playing that era of playlists and inevitably one of those songs is going to be thrown in there. Probably here I go again, the single version. 
Yeah. Um, even uh, before a uh, show that I saw a couple of years ago, uh, the um, the uh, the casino I went to, um, there was a afterwards there were you know one of the bars upstairs. There was like a acoustic duo in there, and I think I sent you the video too. And they were doing "Here I Go Again," and I was singing along, and I was singing the hobo lyrics with it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to show that I was an OG. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, and everyone's just looking at you like, what the, why doesn't he know the words? He's not even close with the hobo. What is he, t- <laughs> what is he talking about? I'm like, yeah, I know the, I know the OG lyrics, man. But <laughs> and, yeah, and everyone's like, yeah, we don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> mm. uh, but yeah, it's, um, yeah. It, so for me, I think that the, the, the challenge part, challenging part of these episodes is going to be separating myself from that initial feeling because again like we talk we've talked about this a million times on the show we discovered many years later like oh well many few years later <laughs> that oh my god the guy from white snake was in deep purple and like wait white snake had <laughs> how many albums before this album what's going on mm. like it was you know that's very specific to our age and um uh, uh, the country that we grew up in and to this right. day you know if our i experience if i talk to anyone you know i remember years ago playing it might have been like david coverdale solo album or something and jen being like what's that and i explained to her who it was it's like the, the guy from white snake what this this <laughs> the guy from white doesn't you know it, you know it got lumped in with with hair metal it got lumped in with heavy metal it, and it and it just even the stuff we're getting into to me is it it was never Coverdale was never quite heavy metal. Maybe slip of the tongue a little bit, but even this album. I don't know. I, I, would, I, would, I would argue this one was pretty, yeah. pretty heavy. I mean, the, um, just not even the style of uh, music, the, 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 the uh, guitar, the style of the guitar playing, but also the production and everything else definitely was not, not your, not your mama's white snake, <laughs> <laughs> not the white snake you grew up with. Yep. Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, a little bit of, um, a background on the album. So, so just for perspective and this, I find interesting. Slide It In was released in January of 1984. Very, so it was recorded in 83, released very, very early in 1984. Um, their last show that they played prior to Whitesnake, this album, 87 being released was Rock in Rio in January 19th, 1985. So a year later. Um, this album was released in 87. So two full years after the final show that they played together and three years after the last album and Mm. putting that into perspective, David Coverdale, after he released, after he leaves deep purple, 1977, white snake, 78 North winds, 78 trouble, 79 love hunter, 80 ready and willing 81 come and get it. 82 saints and sinners and 84 slide it in and saints and sinners was released in november slide it in in january so it looks like there's a two-year gap but it was really 14 months so so he was really pumping them out yeah before that 75 uh you know 75 uh, come taste the band 75 uh stormbringer 74 burn so he's he's consistently releasing basically one album a year every year until this then there's a three-year lull so you have to take so, we didn't we didn't know about this but you you need to take into account like the the people that were following them are just what's going on with them it's all washed up it's all done yeah what's the hold up nate 
<laughs> What's the hold? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, well, there were a few issues. Um, he ended up having this really bad sinus sur- sinus condition. He had to have surgery for. Um, and as a result, he needed a really long recovery. They're saying he couldn't like speak for like six months or couldn't sing oh. for six. I don't know if that's true or if it means he could just not sing, but he had to basically be quiet for six months. And um, so I basically, I think it was like nine months or a year turnaround from having the surgery to be able to do again. So that's a part of it. Um, there's a lot, uh, there's actually a really good story um, from Ulti- Ultimate Classic Rock in, 19, in a 2017 interview with David Coverdale about this. He says, I thought I was done. I thought it was over. I thought it was stick a fork in me. I'm done. I was very substantially in debt due to not working for two or three years. And there had been a terrible advantages taken while I was in recovery from sinus surgery and unable to really function in a professional environment. And people who I trusted, I found out I couldn't trust. So the album became extraordinarily expensive, the most expensive white snake album ever. And it was minimal to do with me. So that was the primary reason. For me, in a relationship, if you can't trust your partner or partners, it's time to move on. I had flown home for a very sad Christmas holiday with my daughter in Munich, and she was kind of punishing me, understandably, because I had just left her mother. So I flew home from Munich to L.A., pretty depressed about it, and very sad. So the Coverdale, the jovial Coverdale we're talking about is kind of at an all-time low at this point, Mm -hmm. personally, professionally, health-wise. So kind of a dark time for... For one of our favorite guys. Um, in Metal Hammer UK in 1987, Coverdale says, There was an illness in the studio and it took eight. Um, there was an illness and in the studio it took ages. There were problems with attitudes and mentalities and some wonderful egos. It stopped being fun. I wanted to throw it down the toilet, not because of the music, but because of the problems that went with it. So, all of these articles, of course, lovingly sent to us by the wonderful Jorg Planer. Um, generally, when I hit him up and I say, hey, we're going to cover an album. What do you got? He'll send me like a folder with, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll download it. It'll be a folder of all scans of magazines and it will be 27 megabytes or 14 megabytes. He's like, he's like, there's too much for this. So I'm just going to send you my whole 1987 folder. And it was almost a gigabyte. Oh <laughs> it was like God. 980, me- uh, 980 um, megabytes or something. So <laughs> it was a lot of stuff. And I sorted through wow. and a lot of really fascinating stuff to, to, to read through. Um, so what else did he say? He says, during the recording, I developed a sinus infection, which was absolutely not drug related. <laughs> just like, hmm, no, <laughs> no, I wondered. Although, you know, I, I believe him in the while that sounds very suspect, I believe yeah. him because Coverdale was never known to be like a guy that had a problem with drugs. Um, he said, I had a deviated septum, which caused me a great deal of intense pain and made me sing off key. I went to a specialist who checked me over and told me he was surprised he could even ta- that I could even talk in my condition. He said I'd need surgery, but we were already months overdue. So I asked if there was anything I could do to enable me to finish the album first. He gave me a course of antibiotics, told me to take three weeks off. However, when I went back into the studio and started singing again, it had all started once more. I chucked it in. Uh, so after the surgery, he said he had to have six months of silence. Uh, which added to the delays in the album. Um, uh, John Sykes had also had an issue with his tonsils, so they broke before Christmas in 1985. Um, a lot of tonsil problems in the band. That, uh, um, so anyway, um, it was right after that that Phil Lynott died, uh, and Sykes had to return to England for the funeral, so there was another delay. They were all filming, uh, or filming, recording in Vancouver, which was really interesting because the other 
I was reading about how they were doing this in Vancouver, and then I don't know if you saw Bruce Kulick's wife passed away like yesterday or the day before. What? Um, I'm sorry, Bob Kulick's wife. Oh, geez. Uh, okay. Sorry. I was going to be like, Jesus. So, yeah. So, and Bob, I guess she was a little bit older than she was like 82 or something, but she was mm. a, she was a well-known actress and, yeah. uh, Coverdale posted something about on Twitter about how, um, uh, he had spent a lot of time with them in Vancouver at the time because they were living there and how wonderful mm-hmm. a person her and, and Bob were. So it was kind of, a um, kind of interesting to read. Um, so, uh, so yeah, anyway, he's doing this in Vancouver. Um, uh, then Sykes went to Toronto and said all of his amps were broken. <laughs> There's no further explanation. I don't know what that means. So oh, he just took, took a crowbar to his amps. He says, he, he said, uh, Coverdale said it was like a world tour of recording studios. Um, after finishing the album, Coverdale said it was only nine, only nine months of recording time, a true pregnancy. Fortunately, the baby's been born with no defects and the feedback I've been getting is quite exceptional. Um, and then they talk, he talks a little bit on the departure of Mel Galley. Coverdale says the band pressured him into letting Galley go. And, uh, he referred to the, um, or Galley referred to the remaining members as the glamour boys. I don't know what that means, <laughs> but Coverdale says, um, I loved Mel's voice and songwriting, but the only way I could keep him involved was to offer a situation where he could write together. Uh, and he was still a member of Whitesnake, but it was peripheral. Unfortunately, I broke his heart. I know he blames me, but it wasn't my fault. I tried to get him the gig with Bad Company, but I don't think he was fat enough. So I don't know if that... <laughs> it's a dig on Bad Company there. Um, uh, John Sutherland asked uh, David Coverdale how he's protecting his voice while touring. And David Coverdale said, lots of smoking and alcohol. I keep it coated with some type of film. <laughs> Great advice, folks, for you budding young singers out there. Um, oh. In an interview with Metal Rendezvous, when asked about the surgery, Coverdale again stated that it was not drug-related. Um, he says, not drug-related. I'm not doing spoonfuls of the devil's dandruff. Which <laughs> 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 is a good one. I've heard a lot of uh, names for cocaine, but devil's yeah. dandruff was a new one for me. Mm-hmm. So um, it's further stated in the Metal Rendezvous article that he couldn't hold a note and had no power behind his voice. So it ended up taking eight months off his career and he didn't know if he'd ever be able to sing again. So interestingly about this album is that other than his first two uh, Glover produced solo albums, this was his first time basically not working with Martin Birch or not working with someone who he'd been kind of brought up with in the deep purple camp. So uh, it was a kind of a big departure for him. Uh, and then in metal rendezvous, finally, he's asked about uh, the touchy subject of sex in his writing. Coverdale responded, it's disgusting. I wanted to call the album no muff too tough, but to make such a ridiculous small statement, just to stick it up these people's noses, you're only going to gain bullshit. So that would be, of course he would call it that. That would be a hilarious album title for the album cover which is like such a serious looking album cover <laughs> if it just said like spray painted on that granite wall no muff too tough <laughs> that would have been freaking brilliant it would have been pretty good maybe that'll be our new name for it so okay so for the core band um we've got on bass neil murray on drums ainsley dunbar of course from the ainsley dunbar uh, retaliation um uh, guest keyboards, of course, Don Airy, uh, guitar and vocals, John Sykes, and vocals, David Coverdale. So not a lot of surprises there. Um, 
The only thing that I am not 100% on is it does credit guest guitar solo on Here I Go Again to Andrian Vandenberg, uh, Vandenberg, sorry, and then guest keyboards to Bill Cuomo on that track. So, mm-hmm. but all else seems to be done by that core of five uh, people, which is interesting because it's it's just the one guitarist where we've only ever seen really two guitarists at this point. So you got more of a right. Deep Purple style lineup. Um, it was uh, produced by Keith Olsen and Mike Stone. Keith Olsen, and we know he did those, um, uh, what do you call it? Those remix, those remixes of the um, uh, Come Taste the Band and Stormbringer. For some reason, they never did Burn. Uh, but he's an American hmm. producer. Um he just passed away in 2020, unfortunately, but he's got a lot of uh, uh, great credits. Um, he's uh, earned him more than th- 39 gold and 24 platinum uh, certifications from his production. So uh, everything ranging from Santana, Pat Benatar, Rick Springfield, 38 Special, Joe Wall, Starship, um, and Eddie Money, Scorpions. I mean, you name it. He's, he's done a ton of uh, great rock stuff. And then uh, Mike Stone, um, uh, he's worked. Uh, he worked with Queensrÿche, or was he in Queensrÿche? Um, he worked with. He worked at Abbey Road in the sixties. Um, mm. He was uh, Queen. He did a bunch of stuff with Queen, like everything through like uh, News of the World. Um, what else? April Wine, Asia, White Snake. Um, I don't know what the connection is there with Queensryche, but something there. Somebody that knows more about Queensryche than me, which is almost anybody in planet Earth, will uh, will write in and tell us. And yeah, that's kind of the lineup. So it's kind of a limited lineup for a, for a Whitesnake album, but there you have it. And uh, with that, of course, we get on to the album cover. So John, what do you think of the White Snake album cover, which I'm trying desperately to pull up here. <laughs> Not that you haven't seen it a million times, but here you go. White Snake album cover. What do you think? Ah, uh, the White Snake album cover. The the most scandalous of all White Snake album <laughs> covers. <laughs> this is this is definitely the most like everything about this album is so contrary to everything that they were doing before. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, they, they went from the really kind of sexually charged album covers, the portraits of all the, the woman with the snake and the woman riding the snake and the snake with the hoo-ha as a mouth and just <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And uh, they just go with this simple kind of like emblem on a, uh, either a cracked wall or a cracked pavement or something like that. Yeah. I always thought it was um, like marble, like just a marble wall, like, like, like yeah. an old Roman ruin sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not pavement. Yeah. I meant like stone or marble, excuse me. Yeah. And then white snake etched in over it. Um, uh, the, the logo over the top. Um, I, I don't know if you have any information on where this concept came from or where this kind of seal idea came from, but, um, I actually think it's uh, it's very um, a very iconic for this album. I mean, it just it it goes together. It's it's simple, 
Um, I, I don't know why it works. Maybe it's just because everything on this album is just ingrained with the image of this cover. And that's just what makes it like one of the most recognizable and uh, probably iconic White Snake album covers in their in their history, at least success wise. I mean, you could argue that the uh, Love Hunter is more controversial or um, yeah, <laughs> yes. any of the other. <laughs> I don't think it would be a hard argument to make, <laughs> <laughs> or or more famous, or some of the album covers are better or whatever. But this one is the most, I think, the most recognizable. Uh, the most iconic of their career. Yeah. And I, and I like it. I think it's, I think it's very cool. Yeah. I mean, I think it definitely uh, gets, uh, I mean, it, 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 to me, it sets up that things are going to be different. I think you could just tell automatically just looking at this, you've got a new logo, you've got this um, very serious, non-sexual sort of, uh, representation of 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 the of the band and the and the product that you're about to get so like i i you know if, if you're used to the the white snake or love hunters sort of um uh, packaging th- this is clearly something different so um, yeah and i mean um and, and i mean at this point too you think it would have made more sense based on the the time that it was made in the content that the band has made the era that they're lumped in with, that there would have been uh, like a picture of Tawny Katane on the front with her hair teased up and a mini skirt, yes. like with her boobs <laughs> popping out or something, like something just really like overly sexual that really personified the era. But instead they went completely in the other direction, which is, uh, I don't know, it just, it, it seemed to make it even more mysterious, I guess you could say. And um, the guy who designed this was Hugh Syme, um, who did a lot of album covers, but um, did the Rush, uh, quite a few Rush album covers, including the 2112, you know, the Pentagram. So like another very, very iconic album cover. So this is a guy that, and I feel like we've brought him up on a recent episode uh, for an album cover, and I can't remember if it was like a Gillen album cover mm-hmm. or what it was, but I should probably just be looking at that in the, in the background here. But um, I feel like we talked about him somewhat recently, or maybe it was Perpendicular, <laughs> which would be very recent. Um, but I know I know he was involved with something that we've we've covered fairly recently, um, and he did he did Slip of the Tongue as well, which is not wildly different than that. it looks almost like the same album cover. Um, mm. But yeah, he's a uh, you know, he's worked with lots and lots and lots of bands. And, uh, you know, this is, we talk a lot about some of those. Um, oh, I, I think that was one of the ones that jumped out at me. He did um, Megadeth Countdown to Extinction, uh, which is kind of fun. He did Kiss Revenge, apparently. Um, you know what? That that kind of makes sense because it's a very similar mm-hmm. style album cover with the, with kind of like this, this, uh, this chrome looking background and like the, the logo and like revenge, like in splattered red, it's, it's almost like the same kind of theme. So, um, yeah, that would, that makes sense that it's, um, kind of in his style. Yep. Um, Coverdale page, Aerosmith, get a grip, mm-hmm. um, Megadeth youth, euthanasia. So, uh, he did a few iron maiden, he did Queensryche. Uh, so yeah, he's, uh, he's got a pretty lengthy catalog of, of, 
some pretty big heavy hitting albums and and iconic album covers so uh pretty great stuff and then of course it's got the latin in there serpens albus you know um so that's kind of get that like ancient sort of ancient rome sort of feel to it um yeah this is the cd as it would have appeared in um uh, this is the holland release and you'll see the, the, the so the of course it's a white snake album so nothing's easy and everything's going to be like oh the u.s version had these tracks and the U, european the original original european release had nine tracks and the original u.s release had nine tracks but the tracks were different it wasn't all the same tracks and then there was followed up with a another release right after that that had the two additional tracks on it. So what ends up happening is here I go again is not on the UK European release. Um, I think uh, I don't, I didn't read anything about it, but my thought is they probably said, Oh shit, this is a huge hit. We got to re-release this immediately and <laughs> yeah. include and tack on that. And while we're at it, we'll tack on another song. Cause it's a CD. We can do whatever we want. So they, they tack this on really quick. And so yeah, the, if you're out there and you have an original European or UK release, you probably have the nine tracks and it's missing that one. Um, because mm -hmm. again, you know, we talk about him revitalizing these songs or doing them again for the U S audiences, they wouldn't have heard most, the majority, vast majority in the U.S. would not have heard Here I Go Again before this album was released. Um, one thing I thought was interesting is up there at the top, it says DDD, which means this is like a strictly digital recording, which I find really interesting. So like, you know, you used to see ADD or, or DAA or AAD. So that means the first letter signifies how they recorded it. So this, in this case, it was recorded digitally and it would have been digital tape at that point. Mm. Uh, the second mm. letter is what they used to mix it. And again, this was digital. And then the third letter it is the mastering process, which is again, digital. And for 1987, I feel like that was probably not the norm. Usually mm. with a lot of the releases you'd get would be like, you know, would be, ADA or AAD, you know, there'd just be one, you know, obviously it has to almost always has to be digitally mastered at some point, but, mm -hmm. um, and the, the CD itself is of course digital, but, um, I thought it was interesting for a release that early to be strictly digital. Um, then you've got, this is the white snake 87. This is the European version again with the 11 tracks. Um, and again, here it is. It's got, um, David Coverdale, John Sykes, Neil Murray, Ainsley Dunbar. They don't really give Aerie the credits there because at this point it was still that kind of four piece. And I was reading something where they were, they were calling Whitesnake the uh, Europe's answer to Van Halen or something. Um, they were trying to kind of go with that angle. Yeah. Um, you know, produced by Mike Stone and Keith Olsen. Um, and then it's because writing credits down at the bottom. You've got, um, just, you know, pretty bland looking lyrics sheet here nothing too crazy mm -hmm. um and then this would be the u.s version which starts with crying in the rain um and i think for the purposes of our background and how this album kind of really blew up we're gonna usually we almost always go with the uk original release but since this was released actually earlier in the u.s we're gonna yeah. go with the u.s version that we would have heard in 1987 all right there you go all right so um yeah before we uh before we move on i think this is a great time to pause and thank our core level patrons 
Coming in at the $7.77 Keep It Warm Rat tier, we have Michael Vader and Richard Fusey. At the $6.99 New Nice Price tier, Fielding Fowler. At the episode $6.66 tier, Steve Coldwell, Arthur Smith, and Anton Glaving. At the $6.65 Almost Evil tier, Kenny Wymore. At the $5.99 The Nice Price tier, Robert Smith, Peter from Illinois, Michael Bagford, and Carl Helberg. And at the $60 Swedish Kroner tier, sorry, Zwapper the Electric Alchemist. And, of course, the $5 Moneylender tier. John Convery, German Heindel, Adrian Hernandez, Jesper Elman, Oleksii the Perfect Stranger Slepikoff, James North, Mark Hodgetts, Will Porter, Kev Roberts, Percival Frequency, Scott Zerns, and Cynthia Doobie. Thank you so much to all of you for your generous support of the Deep Purple Podcast. Whew. All right, John. This is the moment. I never really thought we'd ever get to actually this album mm. <laughs> yeah and i'm i'm excited about it because um um post post 87 when i kind of came full circle um was into was into kind of glam and hair metal and then kind of wanted more stripped down rock music and then kind of came back to it when i came back to this album i was like wow mm-hmm. it blew me away because it's like in that genre in that time of music, it was everything that I wanted. And I was just like, man, this is like, this is heavier and bigger sounding than I remembered um, or that I would have thought. I, I don't know that I knew all the songs, um, but um, it probably was like eh, maybe five to 10 years after it came out. Um, you kind of came back ish. to it. So um, with that, before we start reviewing, I'll say uh, when we're getting into this new Coverdale album, I celebrate with a glass of wine, darlings. Oh my God, John's drinking on the show. Yeah, he's having a little red wine. It's only my second or third time, darling. <laughs> it's, it's only my 203rd time. <laughs> no, that's well, not true. I just true, thought but... it was like, I'm, I'm thinking like, this is a very, uh, have, a, have, a glass of, uh, have a glass of red wine. Raise your, raise your glasses, darlings. Uh, <laughs> cheers. Uh, I'm going to do my, my cheers, Nathan, darling. <laughs> I will. Oh man, I feel. I should have. I should have had red wine. Well, next week maybe I'll have to bring down a bottle. Yeah. Well, I had a bottle open anyways, and I was uh, kind of coming in here with it. And I'm like, you know, this feels like a feels like a red blend kind of night to uh, listen to the '87 album. Why not? I loved when we when we got to see Don Airy um, last week. How he just both nights he just walks in with a glass of red. I just love. Just, he's drinking red wine after the show. It's just and he drank during the show when when they did that little gimmick thing, which was cool. There was there was one thing that I thought was that was kind of funny, and I don't know. I don't think you guys saw it, and I don't think anybody caught it. But I don't. I think I think I want to say Don Airy was holding the bottle of wine. He was like pouring in like some glasses, like there were some people standing around like two or three people Mm -hmm. and he was kind of pouring some in. And then when he was finished, (laughs) I stepped over and I leaned down. I went (laughs) like for a split (laughs) second to be like, yeah, put some in here. (laughs) It was just like, (laughs) like for a split second, because I figured like, yeah, I'll just clown around and see if it goes over and, or I could get kicked out. And it was uh, <laughs> like security. Have this man escorted out. <laughs> but it, it, it went over. He was just like, ah, you. Oh, okay. you, you little rapscallion. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But yeah, so that was. Uh, and the funny thing is, is there were these two guys there that were probably. I don't know. I don't know if you remember seeing them. They were like half our age. Mm-hmm. 
And oh I, yeah, and I was like, like oh, these guys are like, I can and be just their like dad. the night before. There was there was like cake or something in the next room, and so everybody was like mingling around. And toward the end, I saw these two kids walking out. And they're just like, oh, this is pretty good cake. <laughs> <laughs> it was just such a weird thing to see backstage. Oh, yeah, because it was in that room on the side, right? Yeah. Because the first night there was a big cheese, a giant cheesecake right front and center that was like with these slices that were like like a pound each. And you were eyeballing yeah, it because it was your birthday and you still hadn't any cake yet. And you just kept, you were like, <laughs> you were like talking to Don, Aria, Roger and, and just kept, uh-huh, uh-huh. And just like looking over at that cake. It was like one eyeball was here and the other one was over here. <laughs> he, wa- he wanted that cake. And then the second night there was a different cake and they, I guess they always just have cake backstage. It's living the life, man. But it was just, it was so funny because you think of going to like a, like a rock show and you go backstage and you got people signing stuff. You got people drinking wine. And all of a sudden you just see a couple of like 20, 25 year old dudes coming out, like eating like birthday cake. And you're like, what the f- so I remember being on? like, wow, these are young guys. We should, we should turn them onto the show. Just, you know, next time. Yeah. Next time we'll have to get them next time. Rich is like, Oh, you should have business cards and all this stuff. I was like, yeah, I probably should have, huh? <laughs> That's a good idea. Well, you know what, Nate? This is this is my pledge to you and to the audience. You you do all that. You do all that stuff. I'll handle the business cards. You do all. You do everything else. <laughs> okay, so the, I'll, I'll handle the promotions. I have the QR code. I, you know, the funny. I had made business cards. I went to when when I thought I was going backstage to see Deep Purple, and I never yeah. got to go. The first show. Oh yeah. Um, I went to there was a uh, office Max or Depot or whatever it is now. Uh, right next to my work. So I went on my lunch and I, I paid like nine bucks and I had just, just a tiny amount of these cards made. I figured I could hand them out. I had my number on it and yeah. links about the show. And then, yeah, never, never got backstage. So I never used them. But yeah, it wouldn't be a bad thing to, if we're going to just print up hundred cards or something and just, you know, like, like Rich said, just put them on the, put them in the bathroom, put them wherever. And Maybe you get a and few. And also, like, give them to people more, too, because we talked to, like, a handful of people that we were just like, yeah, we have a podcast. And, like, of, of course, nobody knew. They're just like, oh, really? I didn't know that existed. Yeah, exactly. Like, of course you didn't. Even Don, even though he was on the even, – even no, I'm just kidding. He, he was very kind <laughs> and said he remembered. I, hopefully that's true, but <laughs> – I, I would like to I would like to labor under the delusion that he remembers. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, you guys. He's like, I don't know these guys. Um Okay, I could give him a link to the episode just so he knows. here's a video of you talking to us for proof. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, so here we go. Um, we're ready to dig into this album. Mm. We're going to do the U.S. version. Uh, I am very, very religious about like the running orders and stuff, and I hate when people mess around with them. So for our U.K. listeners who are not used to this running order, I'm sorry, but uh, this is this is the way that we. Um, kicked it off, and that is with Crying in the Rain. Much different from the original. Yeah, right? It's like, it's in a totally different universe. And I actually like the way this one starts better. It's it's much more powerful opening. Oh yeah, it's totally kick-ass. Dreaming dreams of tomorrow Feel I'm wasting my time Lighting candles in the wind 
Yeah, I mean, I could see how you could listen to that guitar. I think that you could associate this with heavy metal. Well, yeah, because he's doing like the pinch harmonics. And I mean, I like to think, too, that um, he'd written the song like a few years, several years before, so he was a little more comfortable with it. So by the time they got to this version, it sounded a little less stiff than the original, even though I love the original. I love those pinch harmonics. Oh, it's great. Yeah, this is... I haven't listened to this version in a while, and it's... Yeah. And I mean, you can't tell by his voice that Coverdale was going through any vocal issues or had surgery or anything and he's singing even better than he has before at least his his register was like some parts of this album higher than it ever was it's easy to see how the diehard White Snake fan might not appreciate the direction that all of a sudden this band is going into. Yeah, it's drastically different than everything from before. Sykes putting his stamp on things. Yeah, he's just, he has this really interesting tone to his guitar. He's like a shredder, but it's not as piercing. You know, he has this really kind of like warm tone to his guitar that I really enjoy. Yeah, it doesn't sound as affected as some other things. Yeah. This part here going out of the solo, I always thought was nuts. Just the drums going crazy. I mean, this is when I was like, okay, like White Snake has gone metal. So Coverdale's, that's not his last uh, dipping his toes into that territory as far as singing goes on this nope. album. But that seems, 
I can think of one, a couple of other times that he threw that in over the years, but it kind of becomes his go-to sort of thing. And I don't know if the sinus thing had anything to do with it. I mean, we know that he he hit those those highs when he was in Deep Purple, and even when he was screaming on stage. Yeah. But definitely not a. So I mean, I don't know if maybe it was a. Um, he'd had that range before. I don't know if... Hear all those delays kicking off after the... <laughs> bing, bing, bing. Yeah, that's that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I don't know if like if, if there was something about that recovering from that surgery that opened up his range a little bit more and made that more of a comfortable area or if it was more of producers being like, no, this is the style now. You've got to go for these notes. Whereas maybe Birch or who, well, whoever might have been involved would have said... Not to do that, you know what I mean? Again, I don't know if his voice was affected by the surgery, but it reminds me of like Frank Zappa when he, you know, he has that super, super low voice, but it was a result of like he got his larynx like crushed at a concert. Something, and that's why he's got that super low voice and he can sing yeah. these super low notes. So I like, I don't know if if through some something with the surgery that if that affected him or if it was just trying to keep up with the times and the scream the screaming of the era but at any rate john how would you rank crying in the rain oh boy this is uh this is a really uh, ah, there we go fumbling with the spreadsheet this is a really um this is a really great version um i give it a um i i'm going to give it a 4.5 all right. Um, and it doesn't seem to be taking here on the spreadsheet. Come on, man. Let's do it. Doesn't want to work with you. Oh, now you're giving it all sorts of weird decimals. <laughs> all right. Hang on. I mean, here, you do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be in right now for me to tell everybody. 4.5. Um, yeah, okay. 4.5. Um, yeah, right out of the gate, uh, this is a great opener for the album. And, um, and listening to it again, even though the, um, I mean, I, I could be tempted to say that the production is very timely, which it is. I mean, it's, it, there's a lot of reverb and a lot of echo on things, but it's like, I mean, Coverdale still has that, that classic Coverdale voice. He's singing great. He's hitting those high notes, not going too, too crazy. I mean, he's still doing what he does. It doesn't sound like he's lost anything from his you know previous efforts. Nope. And particularly the way the drums are recorded, if you hear that kind of like that breakdown where they, they have like the, uh, the drum fills in after the solo and everything, you really, I think they were recorded really well because you really hear the room reverb on the drums. It doesn't sound to me overproduced or, or fake or like the, uh, a lot of the drum sounds that they were trying to get at the time. It actually sounded pretty organic for the time, even though it was very over the top. There were a lot of fills. I don't know if there was some double bass in there. Um, and then, I mean, Sykes playing, I think is great. I think what he adds to the, to the, uh, to the song is, is really good because he adds a heaviness to it, but I don't think he's really a flashy too flashy of a shred player, uh, like um, uh, lumping him in with uh, guys that just kind of were playing a million notes a minute because his his tone was was like I said, kind of very um, very warm and almost sounded like um, he was using like um, 
like a like a neck pickup or a passive pickup or something like that because it wasn't very mm-hmm. like uh, a biting tone. It's just a very like kind of a warm tone and his his rhythm guitars are just really heavy and the way he hits those pinch harmonics or when he slides down on a note is just so heavy um, and, and like big. Like the, this whole song just sounds really, the sound of it is just very like big. Like you feel like they recorded in like an airplane hangar or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I enjoy this first entry into the new White Snake sound. Yeah, I think Very big much. is going to be the um, the word we keep coming back to on this because it's just mm. a big sounding album. So um, in Metal Hammer magazine, uh, there's an In His Own Words article where they ask David Coverdale about the songs. He gives these little brief rundowns. I always love when I can find these uh, to find you know some direct quotes from the people involved. So... Coverdale says, crying in the rain is very important to me. It was very important to get the statement across as it should have been in the first place. A lot of my colleagues had their heads securely up their arses, but a percentage of that was my fault. And I've always wanted a better recorded statement than that. I think we've achieved it on this. It features a stunning solo from John Sykes. So agreed on that. Um, I will give this one a four as a being a solid opener for the album um i kind of i feel like i'm more lean towards the uk running order which would have been still of the night to open it up i mean because that that's a statement and a half to open the album with that um however uh mm. that that's where those two differ but one area where the two um track listings stay the same is in the second track on the album and that is on both versions bad boys I love this riff. It sounds very Zach. Well, like this, I could hear this. Uh, this sounds like a uh, Miracle Man from uh, No Rest for the Wicked. Maybe it was maybe it was lifted from this. I love how Coverdale just went. Oh 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 oh! <laughs> yeah, but a pretty good. You're right. A pretty good drum sound for the time. Not too overly processed. A little hi hat heavy though. I don't know. I, I like it. I mean, Sykes playing in this is insane. I mean, the the rhythm of the song is great. And I mean, the fills that he just throws in are like, uh, are awesome. This just reminds me of our Coverdale page episode where Scott is like, I don't like songs that are about the boys. <laughs> I always think about that. He's <laughs> like, I wonder how he feels about this song. Like high-heeled women full of champagne and lies. Yeah, that's a great line. I love the 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 melody guitars underneath that he puts in. Yeah, or the very melodic. Very Randy Rhodes to me. That first part of the solo. I love the rhythm guitar under this. It's just like pulsating along with those drums. 
Now all I can hear is friggin' hi-hat. Thanks a lot, Nate. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's so nice, that guitar harmony there. It's very melodic. Nice little drum fill. Ainsley Dunbar kills it on this album. Yeah. Just another amazing player and name in the White Snake catalog. Just uh, comes and goes in the blink of an eye. Before he's even in the band, he's gone. <laughs> like it never I happened. What, I wonder what this would have sounded like if Old Cement Wrists was on this album. <laughs> <laughs> Who called him that rich? Of course. <laughs> yeah. He's not, let's just say he's not sold on Tommy Aldridge's playing. <laughs> <laughs> what I think of Ainsley Dunsbar comes from that, like, from like the 60s and 70s. I mean, Listen how heavy his drumming is. So, I mean, he's playing so aggressively on this. Yeah, you know, I think that that's really, that's really a good word for what we've heard so far. Is is like this is just really aggressive, big and aggressive. Yeah. Each song we're gonna have a new word. First one's big. Now it's aggressive. We'll see what the yeah. next track runs. But but yeah, it's. Again, Dunbar, it's like it's like it's like if they had like, I don't know, Ringo or Charlie Watts or something on the album playing like this, you'd be like, where did this come from? <laughs> I mean, not that I mean Ainsley Dunbar is an amazing drummer and he's always known for it. And it's not like necessarily the um technical aspect. Maybe it's just that I'm ignorant about Ainsley Dunbar, which I certainly am, but I you know, I know him, you know, I just know some of his background and from I know Ainsley Bun, Dun, uh, Ainsley Dunbar retaliation easy for me to say um, like I know some of that stuff I've listened to it and to me it's just more it's like you know real good you know bluesy sort of rock band and maybe it's just because I lost touch with them from whatever 1969 to 1987 yeah. uh, but just to me it's it's pretty wild but yeah again probably stemming from my own ignorance um, what do you rank Bad boys. Well, I gotta say this this song is like a never never a skip for me. So this is a five. Oh my god! I should have taken a mouthful of water and done a spit take. <laughs> <laughs> if you had a monocle in, you would have been. Oh dear! My what my top drop? hat would have just leapt up and spun around and fell back on my head. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if some if there was a fainting couch behind you, you would have fainted on it. I do armoire. say, my good man, <laughs> a five. Well, oh, I mean, come on, it's not that out there. I mean, no, this not song for you. is not for you. This this song is killer. This is what I love, and I in a metal song it's uh it's got a great riff a great hook a lot of hi-hat um <laughs> no that's actually it doesn't bother me i think it really drives the song along because it's just it kind of it kind of keeps it it keeps it tight you know what i mean and it's um i mean um the the lyrics are just you know good old 
good old Coverdale singing about the the boys on the prowl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm texting Scott right now to see, to see what he thinks of the song. I'll get back to, more on that later. Um, uh, but uh, but yeah, this is uh, this is a great track. Like I say, I always look forward to it. I never skip it. Um, it's just like a. I think it's a an awesome um, uh, part of the White Snake catalog. I, I look forward to this song every time it comes on. I think uh, Coverdale sings great uh, during it. All the playing is great. Um, yeah, when I when I'm in the mood for this, this is like a hundred percent what I want. It is in and out too. It's like it it see it, it's a four minute song. It seems like a three minute song. It's just. It's just an all-out onslaught. So in Metal Hammer UK, David Coverdale says, It's a rock and roller. It's a rebel song. Whitesnake albums are always structured in a similar way. Musically, tempos or whatever the songs are always related. Bad Boys is the Would I Lie to You vein. Was is in the Would I Lie to You vein. And there's still a bit of rebel there, even at 35, <laughs> even at the decrepit old age of 35. Oh my God. I hope somebody had a, a, a walker or a cane for him ready. Oh my God. Just I called the AARP. Coverdale <laughs> just turned 35 back then. Holy He's shit. He's going to start getting the mailers in the mail. Oh my God. Oh, oh, oh yeah. I have to rate it. Um, yeah. I'm <laughs> going to give it again a four. I think it's just, a, you know, solid again. I'm, I'm, you know, if you'd asked, it's funny if you'd asked me about this, Oh, 10 years ago, I would have been like, eh, wait, snake album. Man, I would have, you know, just kind of written it off. But <laughs> zero, <laughs> I, I think there's something to be said about having spent the last four years doing what we're doing and painstakingly going through every song on every single white snake album until yep. this point. It's one thing to listen to the albums here and there sporadically, but to, to, to scrutinize them on every level and see what brought them to this point and what was going on at this point. Right. I feel like I'm in a place where I could analyze it a little bit more, um, I don't know, honestly or, or fairly rather well, than just I, saying, Oh, it's not white snake anymore. I don't like, I like well, the early stuff. <laughs> well, I think that that's part of our, our development since we started the show too. Um, at least I could speak for myself is, is um, coming to some of these later albums the the history of like us talking about it, um, having listeners chime in and tell us their experiences or knowledge about it, and then just us working our way up to this this point, it's given me a lot of um, like a lot of clarity on listening to some stuff and some stuff I I've heard and I'm like, yeah, I still don't like it. And other things like yeah, yep. like this, um, obviously I'm listening to it with a with fresh ears, even though I've always liked it or even our last review perpendicular, which I hadn't really listened to in years is like in regular rotation. Now it's, it's mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. I'm obsessed with it now. And I'm it, it's so also easy. pissed at myself for ignoring it for the past, <laughs> like X amount of years. So it's just so easy to write things off or to, or to parrot the lines that other people say, Oh, come taste the band is not really a deep purple album and blah, blah, blah. Like all these things that people just say again and again and again, without actually mm. taking the time to stop and listen and make your own opinions. And it's like, you know, you can, it doesn't mean you have to like it or not like it, but I, I feel like a lot more comfortable in listening to things now and saying and mm. taking it for what it is instead of being caught up in in 1987 and saying oh, I don't like that because all the kids listen to it and oh, you know maybe there's a reason all the maybe there's a reason this is their best selling album when eight times platinum and all this it's it's it might not be uh, my go to in rotation but um, there's clearly some very um, there's clearly some redeeming value of this album more than some redeeming value that sounds derogatory I mean it's 
it's it's a great album for a reason. Well, exactly so. right. I mean, when you when you talk about or when we talk about albums like this or songs like the next one that's coming up that you could say are overplayed, overhyped, whatever. When you go right back to the beginning, there's a reason that the album, the song, whatever is like a, a platinum, however many times over was played how, on, on MTV or the radio, how many times over it's a classic at this point, or people regard it to be part of the, the playlist. It's because it's, it's good at its core. Mm-hmm. So and speaking of overplayed, we got two in a row for you. <laughs> oh, hey Starting with the this one. So I guess on the um this would have be give me all your love on the uh UK version. Um but on the uh, US version, it is the opener from the UK version still of the night. Love how we slid into that opening yeah. chord <laughs> string rake. So amazing riff, but you yeah. can you can see where fairly no <laughs> you have to say it. you don't it has to be mentioned no like okay let's not even talk about what what you're thinking about but <laughs> you cannot listen to the song and say this is not like a Led Zeppelin song like just listen uh. to the riff listen to it. I mean, it's not. It's 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 original, but it's. But I think you pair that to with what he's doing vocally, and that's why we get the big the genesis of the uh, Robert Plant mm. comparisons. That is a great riff, though. I mean, come on. Oh, yeah. And you can't, I can't, I can't hear this without just seeing the silhouette of him in the microphone. You know, it's like, yeah, it's embedded into my brain. Mm. And this is when they, you know, where they become this huge in this next two songs, this huge video sensation. With no, with no small part thanks to his new girlfriend. Right. And come on, even this with the hi-hat? Come on, John. <laughs> it's so, it's so Zeppelin. <laughs> I'm going to invoke the Richie and I refuse to acknowledge it. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. You. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> Shut up. But this is a long song. I mean, I'm obviously the one they were playing on MTV was not almost seven minutes. So there had to no, be yeah, a radio they, edit. They cut that. They cut that shit now. They cut this whole part out, didn't they? Or they? I think or, they really edited it. Down. I can't think. I would have to watch the video to be sure. I love stuff like this. Like this is almost like 
And a lot of people compare this to Zeppelin. I would almost compare this to Pink Floyd, other than what he's doing vocally. Just this long, like, interlude of, like, little, little musical flourishes here and there, you know, just a... Yeah, so this part was definitely in the video. Yeah, I mean, I like stuff like this because we were talking about how... Uh, talking about dynamics in a song, I mean, this definitely had it. It was definitely setting a mood. It was definitely dynamic. It wasn't just a one-note thing. I think they definitely did something creative with this song, and it was ballsy to release it as a single. Yeah. If you think about it. This has got to be Don Airy on a synth, right? This is not like a guy on a cello. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, I'm pretty sure it's, it, reasonably sure it's got to be Don. If it it's isn't, a, it's, it's not a cello. It's a good, it's a good, it's a good synth sound. It sounds very realistic. Okay, update from Scott. Stand by, he says. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll, I'll uh, update you on that later. The guitar like, sits a little lower in the mix than you'd expect. Wow, that was great. That last note he held off yeah. the solo. He knows how to bend it. Oof. Dunbar ever even play live with Whitesnake? Hmm. I'm gonna guess no, but yeah, don't quote me on that. That's what I'm leaning towards. he was convinced to leave retirement to join Whitesnake in 1985. What? Retirement? How the hell old was he? Well, I mean, he's, like I said, he's he was around forever at this point. Was he an old man of 35? No, he would have been like 41. Oh my gosh. Wow. (laughs) Poor guy. Probably had to have an oxygen tank and... How could you? How could you even? How could you even live at that age? How could you even fathom it? Um, hang on. Okay, just just um, update from Scott. <laughs> he says, "Cool riff, but you know how I feel about those lyrical tropes: bad boys, wild city streets. We get it." <laughs> <laughs> That's about what I was expecting. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, still of the night. All right, wait a minute. Still of the night. Still of the night. Um, what are you looking up? 
Ainsley Dunbar. Oh yeah, actually, yeah. You know what? You were right. He was um he was he was uh he was in his uh, early forties at the time, <sighs> 40, 41. I'd pay good. So money I mean, to that's be a... not hard to believe, though. I mean, there are players now that are yeah. ten years older than that or <laughs> well, more that play. Scott, who I, Scott, who I'm texting, would probably pay good money to be in his early forties, and he's in a band touring the country <laughs> right yeah, exactly. now as we speak. So he was, yeah. Sadly, while we were in New Jersey, he was here in Chicago playing, so I didn't get a chance to see him. Oh, um, but what are you gonna do? Um. All right. So, what do you think of Still of the Night? <laughs> Nothing at all. I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> Still of the night. <laughs> Nothing at all. Stupid, sexy Flanders. Stupid, sexy white snake. Um, Stupid, sexy Tawny. <laughs> yeah, this video. The, the only thing I remember at the end was when she like hopped over the car and was like, he was driving the car and she hopped over the passenger seat and they were like, they were tongue kissing and you saw like the tongues going like, Ugh, and I was like, oh shit. Like, I can't <laughs> wasn't believe that they here, show that. Wasn't that here I go again? I don't know. It was, it was one of, I don't know. I, I remember yeah, as it, a kid, I remember like, like seeing it like, like the, yeah, the tongues are in, well, it wasn't because, until you know, November you to, rain that there was so much tongue in a video. You're like, whoa. Well, because you used to, <laughs> you used to see like kissing scenes, like on uh, TV or movies yeah. or like uh Skinamax or HBO <laughs> or whatever. And it would just be this fake, like, you know, I just mouth, like, <laughs> Kissing like like guppy kissing like yeah there was like nothing that. fake about that there's probably cutting room floor stuff that cannot be aired I, no, I remember yeah, like, do you remember that that scene in um in Top Secret where they kiss and then they both like <laughs> go like this like <laughs> with their tongues on their cheeks <laughs> that's such a great movie uh, there's so many great gags in that movie um okay still of the night <clears throat> you know back on track here all right so oh, man I'm trying to. You know, I'm I'm kind of debating this, but you know what? I'm it might be a hot take. I don't know. I might get some shit for it, but I'm gonna give it a five. Oh my goodness! After after all this time, I hear it and I still I, I'm not sick of it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it, it's just it's such a good song. Um, it's uh, just the dynamics in it, be it the verse that that middle part, uh, the 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 breakdown. Um, it, it's just, it's so good because the song has room to breathe. So, I mean, yeah. you can appreciate, um, uh, when, when, uh, when Sykes go, does those guitar slides and when he plays that, like just immensely heavy riff, I mean, it's just, mm -hmm. man, so you hear that and you're just like, oh, it's so heavy. And, um, uh, Coverdale's singing is fantastic. Um, and just the, the dynamics of the song. I mean, the fact that, um, you know, he he came up with this, that he wrote this after X amount of albums just shows what uh, kind of next level he was on at this point. Yep, 100%. I mean, uh, Zeppelin comparisons aside or not, I mean, he still... Yeah. He still composed a song that was almost, what, seven minutes long and you know, all these great dynamics and riffs in it with, uh, you know, obviously with another songwriter, but I mean... Well, the thing it's about fantastic. the Zeppelin thing that kind of amuses me is like the really the comparisons don't start until here, like this album. And but it's like he had this huge career before this point. So it's like I don't the thing I think that we've always railed against is people 
basically writing, because in America, again, this is people's first exposure. Like, oh, this guy's just a Robert Plant wannabe, blah, 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 which I can get. But if you really do your research, you realize he's built this huge career. He's amazing songwriter, all these great albums. And really, there, you can't draw any comparisons until this late stage in his career when he's been 15 years active or whatever. So it's mm-hmm. clearly he wasn't like just trying to be some sort of Robert Plant analog or trying to rip off Led Zeppelin. And honestly, music-wise, I think this is the only song where I would say, okay, I get it with the Led Zeppelin. Like, it's it's reminiscent of Led Zeppelin. Um, I mean, a lot of bands around this time were doing that. I think the biggest uh, comparison maybe around this time or a year later was uh, that band Kingdom Come mm-hmm. um, was, was also like one of the earliest or first kind of um, comparisons of that whole like... Uh, uh, Zeppelin clones, uh, uh, 10 years later type of thing. Um, and, uh, regardless uh, if it, if it does sound, uh, Zeppelin inspired or whatnot, it doesn't take away the fact that, um, it's, it's a well-written song. It's, it's, it's well-performed and it's, it's done. Uh, it's, it's a legendary at this point. Yep. Um, so just the latest from Scott, he says, it's better than <laughs> bad boys. It's better than the Coverdale page song. The boys are feeling hot tonight, he said. So he said he'll be tuning in soon as always. So he's looking forward to the episode. Um, cool. Okay. So still of the night, uh, David Coverdale says in Metal Hammer UK, it's a love hunter song. It's a predator song. It's a relative of slow and easy victim in love and love hunter. It's kind of a nighttime's the right time kind of song. You can get away with much more in the dark. I think it's definitive Coverdale. It's already proven to be excellent live and the band are playing it fucking great. It was... Mm. Uh, it was in essence arranged to walk straight off the disc into the concert hall and just expand a little on the atmosphere piece. I'm very pleased with it. It certainly gained more mileage than I could ever have wished for. Mm. Okay. That's that. What do you rate it? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you rate it? Damn it. Hmm, I guess I will give that. I'm going to give it a 4.5. I mean, I've always really, really dug the 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 lick or the riff, and uh, think it's a good song because I think while you're getting this, it's clearly got some flashy '80s production. It's very Americanized, but like we said before, it's not too over the top. The drums don't sound terrible like so many drums did at this time, and um, you still got dynamics. You've got that that cool part in the beginning when you're in the middle rather when he's doing the like little hi-hat thing and you're getting these little flourishes and that's that's stuff's really interesting I'm, I'm glad they didn't just gloss over that to just make it be you know balls to the wall for the full six and a half minutes because that right. would, that would just you know would be fatiguing um with that um it's on to the final track we'll review on this episode and to close out the first side of the lp uh, a track that really needs very little if no interrupt uh, introduction at all and it's uh the song that you've heard a million times here i go again i forget is this done it says this is bill cuomo oh okay I don't know where I'm going. and i'm sorry i love that intro like it sounds great it's very of its time, but usually it those things bother me, but it sounds so good. And his voice just sounds so good on this. Here I go again. 
I think the other part of it too is is that we're not just talking about some flash in the pan or some schlub. We're talking about David Coverdale on vocals right. here. So. And she's got all those all those great hallmarks of a Coverdale vocal delivery. And I mean, this could have been on one of his first two solo albums. Oh, easily, yep. I mean, he did this kind of stuff back then, so... So listen when the band kicks in here. So one of the things that struck me about the 82 version is when the band kicks in, it sounds so weak in comparison to this. Yeah. And... As much as I love that version, like to me growing up on this one, I just like when it kicks in, it's like, oh, what happened? Well, I mean, plus the the obvious uh, switching of the word uh, hobo to drifter uh, helps it a hell of a lot. It's not the worst move that's ever been made. <laughs> I just feel like these re-recorded versions, these 87 versions just flow a lot more easier. They don't sound as they don't sound as stiff, they sound more powerful. And that's with much love to the original versions, too. Oh yeah. But I don't know what it would be like if I had heard if I had spent five years religiously listening to the 82 version, how I would, I can't, there's no way for me to it's know true. how I would feel about this version hearing that one. Well, we can, all we can do is know what other people hear, what their experiences were, so. And I think a lot of their experiences are, we feel like he's become Americanized and he's just cashing in or whatever you want to say about it. This is Adrian Vandenberg on the solo. Good solo. Yeah, very short, but well played, of course. But I mean, that's something that I noticed so far on all the solos, whether it was this one or Sykes's, uh, Sykes solos, is that, like, like I said before, they're not, they're not buried in all of this like flange and delay and uh, uh, reverb and uh, whatever else was like on. Uh, even though I love that <laughs> on you know a lot of the '80s solos, but this sounded more kind of straight ahead, almost like he plugged right into his amps yep. and wasn't using like any kind of pedals or anything like that. Which I appreciate. I mean, whatever sound he got on his rhythm guitars, too, on this album was, like, tremendous. Yeah, it sounds great. So when my sister-in-law got married, <laughs> we were Is this going where I think it's going? <laughs> I don't know where you think it's going. <laughs> we, um, 
we're at the wedding and yeah. everyone's on the dance floor having a great time. And the DJ puts the song on. Yeah, that's what I thought. Cleared the dance floor. No. Because, oh. well, it's not really, how do you, it's not really a dance song. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I thought that you were going to say like, this was like, this was like their first dance song. No, no. Like Far from it. Like the, it just cleared, like no one knew what to do. They just, everyone just left the dance floor. And like, it was like, probably like, I don't know, two minutes into the song, they just killed it and went on to something else. Oh man. They realized they had made a, a big mistake. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I guess you can't really, can't really do anything to this song. I mean, the beginning, you could probably slow dance to it a little bit, but I mean, that's. Yeah. Like you, yeah, that's the thing. I think it starts off as kind of like a slow dance song and then it's like, what are we supposed to do to this rock part? It's like, a, you can't like dance to a rock song like that. You know, it's yeah, not, it's just, just like Sebastian Maniscalco. I can't dance to white me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when, I remember when I saw that bit, I was like, that cross thought about my sister-in-law's wedding 20 years ago. I can't ago. do it. I can't <laughs> dance to white snake. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's totally true. Um, well, I mean, maybe, um, maybe is this love you could dance to? Yeah. Like that's, I think you could like slow dance to the whole song, but this one's like slow dance. Now what are we supposed to do? Boogie <laughs> Do the monkey. Do the monkey. I mean, what are you supposed to do? I don't. <laughs> oh, shit. So what do you think of Here I Go Again? Mm. Um, I'll give this one a, I'll give this one a four. Um, I really like it. Um, there are, there are like, I, I definitely think this is the definitive version. I think the, the changing of the, the changing of the lyrics, Mm-hmm. Um, that, that one lyric in there definitely helps it. I think it's definitely a more loose, a heavier version than the original. Um, I kind of miss the original solo though. There, there are a couple yeah. of, there are a couple of songs, this one. And when they, uh, when he did a uh, fool for your loving on, um, slip of the tongue, um, even though I like Steve Vai's solo on that, and I do like the solo on this one. I mean, it's, you know, it's classic going to this version. Um, I believe the original here I go again, had like that kind of, um, was it a, was it like a harmonize a harmony solo or something? It was like a dual guitar or something yeah. like that. Or, yeah, yeah, I think um, so. And something I can't like remember that. if it was Moody or Marsden, but it was really like, it's really one of the things that I liked about the original version. Like sometimes I'll hear the two different versions of the white snake songs and I'll imagine to myself, like, off oh, if the, if it were like the 87 version, but it had like the, the 82 solo in it, then it would, or, you know, it would be so awesome. But we it's, need to um, make like a Franken, a Frankenstein version of the song. <laughs> yeah. Or it's like, oh, or if it like his vocals in this verse were in that version, then it, you know, like you, yeah, you kind of like Frankenstein it together, but, um, but overall, <laughs> we could, they could play the 87 version. And then every time he says hobo, just, just super impo- drifter over <laughs> <laughs> like that, like <laughs> all muffled and off time. <laughs> um, but yeah, like uh, I think this is uh, this is the this is the classic. This is the definitive. This is the hit version. Um, I think it's um, I think it's great. I don't. Um, I mean, it's definitely poppy. It's definitely made for radio. It's made f- uh, uh, for for that kind of thing. Um, I don't want to say that's what's stopping me from giving it a five. It's just kind of like, it doesn't, um, I guess it doesn't pump me up as much as some of the, um, uh, kind of more, uh, dynamic or heavier, fast paced, um, songs that we've heard so far. Um, but this one is still definitely like great. Like so far side one's been a hit. 
Um, David Coverdell doesn't have anything to say about this in the Metal Hammer um, article that I've been quoting from because this wasn't included in the UK version. Uh, and it was probably done like pre-release. Um, mm. So, you know what? I'm just, I'm going to give this one a five. Oh. You know, like I, I, if you had told me t- 10 years ago, you're going to do a Deep Purple ratings podcast and give the 87 version a five, I would have laughed at you. But mm. there's something about it that I've grown this appreciation for. And when I hear it every so often on the radio, um, I just I something about that that opening with the piano, which normally those tones would throw me off. But it's like him singing alone with that piano opening and that pad in the background. It reminds me of like time and again or like which I was like one of my probably my all time favorite Coverdale. Well, one of my all time favorite Coverdale songs. Um, and it just like something about it just really gets me and and hearing his vocal delivery in the context of all the stuff we've spoken about just to me is, is just great. And I, I would have get, I would have bet a million dollars. I preferred the 82 version, but um, you know, actually doing this, I think I prefer the 87 version. Mm-hmm. Apologies nice. to some people. I know that's going to upset, oh, um, boy. but oh, boy. <laughs> brother, but oh, it's, boy. it's uh, it, I don't know. It, I mean, it's, it, and it's at any rate, you know, you can agree with it or not agree with it, but you can't argue with the success that this track achieved for the band. And, right. you know, any, any, um, even if David Coverdale was a one hit wonder and this was the only song he ever released, he could still, you know, afford to just be in, uh, living in the lap of luxury and retired off of it for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, so good for him. We should all be so lucky to have that one song. I'm still looking for mine. Um, Okay. So that's uh that's side one. That's 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 where we uh where we end up here. Um I guess uh it's time to uh start wrapping things up. Um but before we do, of course, we have to thank our what are they called? Where are they? Oh, <laughs> Core ah, level they patrons. Our foundation level patrons. I mean fund- oh Jesus. How yes. did I mess that one up? Foundation. All right, All right we gotta do foundation. this whole episode over. Um uh, Okay, if I can get ready here. Um, so yes, uh, so appreciating all of those great patrons and people who keep this show running. As you know, we are 100% listener supported and we thank you all. So coming in at the three pound aromatic feed tier, we have Simon Ford at the $3.33 halfway to evil tier. Raf Calf, Spike the Rock Cat and Spike's Mom. At the $3 nobody's perfect tier, we have Peter Gardeau. Ian DeRosier, Mark Roback, Duncan Leesk, Stuart McCord, Flight of the Rat Bat Blue Light, Ivan Fieldboo, Runar Siemensen, JJ Stenard, and Ruinous Inadequacies. Coming in at the $1.71 I want my own tier tier, we have Rich at the 10 kroner tier, Karsten Lau at the one pound tier, Paul, and at the $1 made up name tier, we have the leaking in the rain, leaky mausoleum, Stephen Somerville, the concerto 1999 fanatic, Hank the Tank. Private Eyes, Ashen Lionel. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> uh, here we go. 
Blackmore tights. <laughs> and the coughing version. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, John Maselli. Yeah, but but one wah does not mend a broken heart. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> Do we know what any of what this guy says means? No, we don't. It's funny. I got a, um, I got a, um, email from John Maselli, uh, just yesterday. Uh, yeah. he was just, uh, just telling me some artists to check out. And then he said, um, also when you play the Tony Danza clip at the end, every, end of every show, I crack up every time. So I'm glad that John is, uh, Got a good sense of humor about it. We You're not the that. only one, my friend. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Um, well, well, I guess with that, it's about time to uh, to wrap things up. Can you can you believe it? <laughs> I'm glad. You know, we were debating like, do we do this in one episode? I really don't know if we could probably do it in one episode easily. And now I'm looking at the time and I'm like, no, nope, it was a good idea to make this two uh, two episodes. <laughs> Didn't you learn anything from Coverdale Page? I know. <laughs> well, this is much shorter in in terms of how many songs are on it. But I think there's just so much to say about every song and about the history and yeah. everything. I think that's yeah, why. This, it, yeah, th and there's a lot of stuff that I know on the next episode post post album. I don't know what you have uh, in store in term in terms of like um, reviews and clippings and stuff, but other stuff that I would I have questions about. There's so much stuff I have, in fact, that I was actually gonna I was gonna loop some of it into this episode, but given how long mm. it went, I don't think we can. <laughs> Yikes! Mm. So I'm like, I don't want. So maybe next the next episode might be three hours. Who knows? Um, hopefully oh, not. Oh boy! For everyone's sake, but anyway. I guess that's all I got. Anything else before we wrap up? No, just tune in next week to see what these two knuckleheads have to say about White Snake 87 side two. Tune in, tune in next week for the stunning conclusion. How will we rank the remaining five songs? It's anyone's guess, really, including ours, because like that's the interesting thing is I just I'm looking at our rankings like I had no idea going into this. But I don't think about it until we until we're right here. And then I'm just like, wow, I'm giving this one a four. I'm giving this one five. Who knew? Oh, I, well, I think that's what makes the the ratings most honest. Yeah, we um, I don't I don't um, I don't meditate on them beforehand. Nope, not at all. We don't do anything that requires any work beforehand. So except you. Except, well, sometimes <laughs> some things you have to do. You have to have everything ready to record. But all right, oh, yeah. John. Well, all I right. will see you next week, my friend. Okay. Later. Thank you for listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also leave us a review in Apple Podcasts to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. Although I got to tell you, just you can take the dog um, outside and let her run around until she tires herself out and just passes out. I can't do that with my kids. Have them, <laughs> have them take a dump in the backyard and then. <laughs> oh, good. They're all and then tired. Go to bed and then go to their crate. Yeah, <laughs> I wish I could put them in a crate. Then you would go to the bar 
because that song would come in that nobody could dance to, right? That song would always pop on. Like, I can't dance to this. I can't dance to White Snake. Let's go get a drink at the bar.